Good morning, church. Let me ask you to stand on your feet. We're going to get ready to read the Word of God. Just a little spiritual exercise, right? If you're like me, you need to warm up just a little bit. Don said, no, I've been on my feet all week. The title that I have for you this morning is Resolutions, Anyone? And the passage that we're going to be reading, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25, if you will. Resolutions, anyone? Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. I think I made mention of this a couple weeks ago. We purposely uh, leave the words off the screen so that you can open up your Bibles. Matthew 25, verse 14. Say amen if you have it. For for it will be like a man going on a long journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had received the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. One of your versions may actually read, Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest to take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to worship you as we did a few moments ago. Father, thank you for music. Thank you for what it does to us. Thank you for allowing this worship team here this morning to, 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 to essentially bring us before your presence. Thank you for preparing our hearts, soil, to receive whatever it is you have in store for us this morning through your word. Speak to us right now, Father. Help us to understand what this text has to do with the title, resolutions. What does this mean? Help us this morning to apply your word to our lives, Father. We thank you so much for it. And these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Bear with me this morning. Resolutions. What does the title have to do with this one particular text? How can we actually relate the title with the text this morning? I titled it Resolutions, anyone, because this is the season that so many people in society actually make them. Resolutions are decisions that we make usually in the beginning of the year to do or not to do something. How many of you are preparing themselves to make resolutions? My brother right here put his hands up right away, even before I got the words out of my mouth. Resolutions actually have to do with the certain changes that we want to make in our lives. But the question is, why do we inherently, somehow, some way, we inherently look to this time of year for the purpose of making a resolution or two. Why do we even care about making resolutions? What's the meaning of life anyway? Someone once stated. So why make resolutions? Is there such a thing as absolutes? Why do we make resolutions in the first place? The following two verses or passages of Scripture is my hope that's going to help you tie this, this title with this one particular passage. In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, listen to these words by Paul the Apostle. He says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. The relevant part coming up, is coming up right now. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Look into, listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. 11. Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, For he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity in man's heart. The reality is, one of the basic reasons why you and I make resolutions is because we all have a moral compass. We all have an inclination for the spiritual. 
every single one of us. There isn't a soul walking the earth today that does not have a moral compass. This, this, I'm not saying that everybody is living as they ought to be living. I'm not saying that everybody is righteous. I'm certainly never going to make the statement that everybody is going to be saved on the earth just because Jesus Christ died. What I'm saying is that we all have a conscience. And for that reason and that reason alone, we all look to this time of year to establish, establish some sort of a standard for ourselves. A means by which, a catalyst. Because we all truly, in our heart of hearts, it doesn't matter where you are, with your faith, with your spirituality, where you've been with your life, what struggles you are dealing with today, everybody has a conscience and we all know right from wrong. We may not necessarily be living it out. And most people in society today are never going to be able to live out the righteousness they they understand, this conviction that they have. The reality is, God has written His laws in our hearts. Could it be that because of that one basic Bible truth, that we all lean on this time of year to establish sort of a, a routine for ourselves that's sort of going to guide us or direct us throughout the year? I want to lose X amount of pounds. Somebody may have said, don't, don't laugh. It's a reality to some people. Or I want to, I want to, I want to acquire this one particular job or succeed in this one particular endeavor. We all set these goals because we want change in our lives. Why? Because of this moral compass that I pointed to, that I alluded to. Unsaved or not, everyone has a spiritual inclination. Everyone truly longs to know God, whether you realize it or not. It's the reason why the occult is on the rise. It's the reason why so many of our young people today turn to drugs and alcohol. Because we all have this void within us that we want to fill. It's the reason why I ran the streets the way that I did long ago in the 80s. Because I had this emptiness on the inside of me. And somehow the neighborhood caused me to believe that if only I had the right girl, if only I had the right amount of money in my pocket, if only I had the right toys, I can self-actualize Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So my purpose here this morning is just to simply give you a few basic points from this text about how God has determined our lives and to give us an answer to to some of life's most probing questions. And I know that you still may be struggling with what I've said thus far and how it relates to the text. Let's look at the text. Consider verse 14. The parable begins with, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. This is a parable. So this is a parable. So it's an illustration that Jesus Christ uses to explain spiritual truth. And note how the verse establishes that God is likened to a man who went off on a long journey. And we, you and I, are referred to as servants. We're referred to as servants. There's an accountability, which is point number one. 
An accountability that God holds you and I to. A stewardship of the greatest of all resources. Who can take a guess at it? What is the greatest of gifts that God has given to mankind? Yes, salvation is a beautiful thing. But what precedes salvation? The gift of life. God has given us life. And Jesus Christ, He expounds on this one particular parable. He makes this declaration. He's this, this wealthy person. And He bestows His gifts, His wealth, His money to His trusted servants. His servants. And He holds them accountable. And He gives them a series of talents, if you will. One was given five, the other one was given two, and finally the last servant was given one talent. And when the master returned, he held them accountable. What did you do with the resources that I bestowed upon you? Give an account of what I have given to you. Listen to this statement. In Christendom today, the one truth that may be most taken for granted is the one concerning God's sovereignty over mankind. I'm going to read that again. In Christendom today, the one truth that is most likely taken for granted is the one concerning God's sovereignty over mankind. Everyone seems to believe that we can live life on our terms. We all have these natural gifts, and those of us who are saved have these spiritual gifts. Because I am saved, I know in my heart of hearts that one day I'm going to give an account to God for my life. The Bible has a lot to say about that. We can spend all day, all week long talking about accountability and stewardship. But think about the people in your life that do not know Jesus Christ personally. How many, how many people do we revere, do we idolize? How many athletes, they pat themselves on the back for the skills and the abilities that they have. They're not giving God necessarily, a, a, a giving God glory for the abilities that they have. Most people who walk the earth today feel that they are a God to themselves. Scientology and a host of other wicked things that, that, that are so pervasive in society today. And many people buy into it. Atheists believe that. I'm, a, I'm essentially a God to myself. I, look what I have achieved. Look what I have established for myself. Look what I am capable of doing for myself. That's what this parable has to do with. Genesis 126 reads, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over all the earth. That's a paraphrase, the last part, because it doesn't say all the earth. It talks about everything that God has created and that God has put under man's care. Essentially, over all the earth. So God created us and he's gifted us in so many different ways. But the reality is that God is sovereign. And that one day, like this master in this parable, He will hold us accountable for our lives. For the things that He has placed in our hands. 
He's going to hold this church accountable for this one particular property, how it's used down to the very last detail. Now, thankfully, we stand before Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of, the judgment seat of Christ, and not before the white throne judgment. It's not going to be a reckoning in, 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 in terms of condemnation. I thank God for Jesus Christ. But it doesn't negate responsibility on our part. Or does it? It does not. You and I are responsible for the resources that God has blessed us with. I love this parable. Because it speaks to not one, it speaks to all. It speaks to believers like it speaks to unbelievers. There's no distinction in this one particular passage. Now, when you read the latter verses in the text, it has a lot to do. It talks a lot about this, this judgment and what takes place later. There's a separation that takes place in the text. One day, you and I will give an account of our lives. The title is Resolutions, Anyone. It's because we all have an inclination for the spiritual. We all want to know God, but not everybody is actually fulfilling sort of that, that calling, that mandate in the heart of hearts that we are. There isn't a soul walking this planet that doesn't realize his or her sin. We may not necessarily be able to put our finger specifically on the issues that, that we struggle with, but everybody has a conscience. Because God has put His laws in our hearts. Psalms chapter 8, 5 through 8, concerning this first point. It reads, Yet you have made Him, talking about God's sovereignty, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, talking about mankind, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Acts 17, 26 through 27 reads, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, so that they should seek God, listen, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. You see the sovereignty of God at work in those passages, as well as man's responsibility? The latter part of that verse says, And perhaps feel their way toward Him and seek Him, or rather find Him. No matter who we are or where we are from, the same holds true for every single one of us. The Lord is our Creator, and we are accountable to Him. God woos us. He moves upon us from time to time. It's easier for you and I as believers because of the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. I get up in the morning and I get this inclination to get down on my knees. And so that's exactly what I do. I don't do it because I'm religious. I do it because there's a, there's a substance at work on the inside of me. A life. It's a faith. It's a reality. 
talking about salvation here this morning. And it's beautiful. How many, how many can attest? Come on. Come on, let me see your hands. It's a beautiful thing to know Jesus. To have this... No, I'm not going over there. Are you kidding me? I got to go over here. I got to go to church. I have to worship my Lord and my God. Or I have to set apart. I have to, I have to read my Bible. Or I have to say my prayers today. I, have to, I need my God. The unbeliever may not necessarily be like that, but he has an inclination nonetheless. Because we are all accountable to God and he's written these things in our hearts. Point number two, we are called to serve. Look at your text. I'm not going to read them, but look at 15 through 17. It speaks of talents given for the purpose of fulfilling a duty. And the idea is that they were commanded to work for the kingdom. The master is distributing his wealth to his servants because they were given a responsibility in the kingdom. Remember, this is just an illustration concerning spiritual matters, concerning kingdom. God bestows upon us all unique qualities for the purpose of enhancing His kingdom here on earth. How many of you are without a special ability. No one's hand should go up there. Because we are all endowed by God with special gifts. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I believe it is, when he ascended on high, the Bible says, he gave gifts unto men. Now those are the spiritual gifts, right? We could talk a lot about those spiritual gifts. We're not going to get into that. But there are also natural abilities. Anybody here with a, with a spe- special natural ability? Huh? Every hand should go up. Because, don't be scared. We all have special natural abilities. Take Cheryl, for example. Oh, she's good with numbers. And I'm sure she's not the only one. I'm not. Listen, please don't talk to me. My, we had a meeting yesterday and it sort of, it was, it was, it, I had a migraine afterwards. I had a migraine because I'm just not good with the numbers, but certain people are. Jen, she's gifted. Huh? No, you're not good with numbers, but you get at other things. Huh? She is a nurse and not just a regular nurse. That's a, that's, it's a gift of God. Yes, some people may attribute it to the academic process. Listen, it's more than that. How many agree? It, it's, it's more than that. It's the gift of God. And what is the purpose? Because God wants to enhance Himself this side of heaven. He wants to enhance Himself this side of heaven. He wants to establish Himself. He wants to use us. And so, according to the parable, He gives us these gifts, these talents, these abilities, so that we can serve one another in love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20 puts it this way. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The truth is that every single one of us has a ministry. We all have an assignment. That's what the parable is about. God bestows these gifts, these talents upon our lives so that we can do a service or fulfill a service, a responsibility. That's why we are likened to servants in the text. Because one day there will be a judgment. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 13 and 14 puts it this way. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is devoted to the meaningless and the empty things of life, the vanities of this world. And Solomon, he summarizes the book in those last two verses this way. He says, let us hear the whole conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring into judgment every secret thing done in the body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We're going to stand before God one day in the near future and we shall give an account to our Creator. There's a concern here that I have to point out. Excuse me. Because there is a concern in the text that we just finished reading here today. The latter part of the parable has to do, it talks about a servant who was unfaithful with his responsibility. He chose not to, for whatever reason, he chose not to use the gifts that were bestowed upon him or her For the purpose of glorifying God. We all use our gifts and talents. Every single one of us. The question is, do we use them to glorify God? That's the message. Do we use them to glorify God? Are you using your skill set to honor God? Or are you doing it because somebody else is looking over your shoulder and you want to look good? Many of us have ulterior motives. For the things that we do in life. I thank God that we are his workmanship. I'm not perfect, neither are you, right? Any, any, let's just take a survey right now. Any, anyone perfect here this morning? Let me see your hand. Come on, put your hand up if you're perfect. (laughs) The gentleman right there in the gray. He, he, he nearly, he nearly, no, he put his hand up. Stone him. None of us are perfect. The idea is to move in the direction of fulfilling the will of God for our lives. It's a wonderful truth that Jesus Christ was laying out in this parable. But the reality is, getting back to this one particular point, um, the laborers are few. Look, listen to Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest field is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is Jesus talking. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This one servant with the one talent talent chose not to glorify God with his gifts or abilities. 
He chose to serve himself. Most people in society are just like that. Those of us who are gifted and who, who have determined in our hearts of hearts to serve God by serving others through the, 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 our gifts and talents, we need to step up. It doesn't mean that God is going, that I'm necessarily capable of saving anybody. The Holy Spirit has to draw people in order for salvation to, to be realized in the heart of a mankind. Right? But the Bible does say, he that saveth souls is wise. So there's this responsibility that you and I have, in fact, been given by God. We are to serve God by serving others. That's life's mandate. I am not to live life according to my own understanding and according to my own dictates. That's what? That's not why you and I are here today. I can make all the resolutions that I want for this coming new year about being happier with other people. But it will never compare with taking ownership of the ministry God has entrusted to me regarding their spiritual well-being. And it's the reason why I read 2 Corinthians 5, 18, etc. Because it has to do with a special assignment all of us have been given. The ministry of reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing. And we could preach a thousand sermons on that one text alone. The ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It's an endowment by the Holy Spirit. This gifting. We can just simply open our mouths. A firm handshake even. That will make a difference in somebody's life. Open the channels of communication with the people in your lives. Good or bad. Family or not. And a word well spoken. Seasoned with salt. As Paul the Apostle put it. Can make the ultimate difference in somebody's life. You and I have the capacity because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with someone, with anyone, with everyone, and somebody can get saved. You don't have to run your unsaved family members to the pastor. You don't have to run your unsaved family members to the elders of the church. You don't have to travel a thousand miles to get somebody who doesn't know Jesus to somebody who does. Because if you know Jesus Christ, just open your mouth, share words of life, and somebody's life will be radically transformed. Amen, somebody. The ministry of reconciliation. That's what the parable has to do about. Point number three. Got time, nice. I just simply titled it Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. Look at verse 15 in your text. It reads, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. What's the saying? Jesus is the one who provides. 
for this assignment that we have been given. It is not up to you to be creative in some way or to conjure up something or not for me to seek to fulfill his assignment for my life by trying to utilize Janine's gifts. Her gifts are her own. And I'm not going to make the attempt to put myself in her shoes so that I can fulfill my calling through her gifting. That's not how it works. If you've been given a gift, two talents, or five, whatever the case may be, find out what they are. Most of us know exactly what our natural gifts are. Some of you like to write. Some of you like to read. Some of you like to teach. A lot of people in society like to teach. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, we have a lot of teachers here today. It's a wonderful thing. It's, a, it's amazing the way God does that in the life of so many people. When they can pursue something higher, more appealing in the eyes of some. What? You want to become a teacher and make 40000 45000 55000 Why not study just a little bit more and make a million dollars? Right? God bless you, teachers. But it's the gift of God that He provides. He provides. Let's look at this. Here's an illustration. Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to read any verses, but I'm going to tell you a story that you may already be acquainted with. It's a wonderful story about... Faith. God demanded something of Abraham. God was asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. Parenthetically speaking, has God ever demanded something so precious from you? Has he recently demanded your precious Isaac from you? And as the story goes, God ultimately provided a ram in the place of Isaac right before Abraham plunged a knife into the chest or body, wherever, into the knife of his son, an angel. God called out from heaven. He says, stop. He basically stopped the sacrifice. It was a test. How many know that God sent Abraham up Mount Moriah to sacrifice a ram in the first place. Because that's exactly what it came down to. He did not send them up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. He needed him to think that was indeed the case. Because faith is precious. It's invaluable to God. So much so, Hebrews 11.6 states that without it, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you and I are unable to utilize these gifts that we have been giving. That's exactly what went wrong with this servant who was given one talent. He chose not to serve God. He chose not to acknowledge the sovereignty of his creator or his master, the authority of his master. And he did. He chose to live life as the prodigal son did for a season in his life as he saw fit. 
God is amazing when He works this assignment out in our lives. And He blesses us the way that He does. He meets our physical needs. Philippians 4.19 puts it this way. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen, somebody. He also gives us natural and spiritual gifts so that we may be a blessing to other people. First Peter 4.10 puts it this way. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Thank you, Jesus. And last point, a debt incurred. A debt incurred. Look at verses 19 through 23. Just glance over them. I'm not going to read them. I don't have enough time. It speaks of responsibility taken up by those who were faithful as well as the the rewards that were received. It speaks of the responsibility taken up by those who were faithful as well as the rewards that were received. But we cannot forget about the fact that they were servants and were required to fulfill their duties. It doesn't mean that somehow God has stripped away our will from our lives. No, that would mean that the gospel has to do with slavery. And we all know that there is that slavery has nothing to do with the gospel. In fact, it's the exact opposite. There's a wonderful, authentic, beautiful freedom that we enjoy as a result of the gospel. The gospel has to do with love. Loving, love for God, and love for others. Verse 20 in your text. Look at that one. I'm going to read that one. It says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Now here I have made five talents more. Someone once put it this way. Listen to these words. When we become Christians, everything changes. Our relationship with God changes from enmity to peace. What we love changes. Our orientation from selfishness to service changes. Our goal in life changes. Everything changes. And serving the Lord becomes a true joy. Anybody here like that this morning. Paul put it this way. Um, I am under obligation both to the Greeks. This is, by the way, Romans, if you're writing down Romans 1.14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so that I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Jesus Christ put it this way, and I love it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. This parable has to do with responsibility. The responsibility of life. What are we doing with 
our lives. The talents that you've been blessed with, the abilities that you have, the giftings by the Holy Spirit that you possess here today. And I listen, I have a front row seat at every single one of you. And I'm looking and I'm observing and I'm taking mental notes. And you guys are wonderful people. You guys are blessed in so many different ways. You guys don't need a pastor. You guys, you, you guys, you guys went without one for 14, 15 months. How is it that the church did not close its doors? Because of your gifts, talents, and abilities. That's why. But imagine, imagine if we all took a concerted effort to hone in on these gifts and these talents that God has blessed us with. And we were all intentional with our worship. And we all devoted ourselves to consecrating ourselves to, to the service of God. To fulfill His calling, His unique calling upon our lives. What becomes of this church? What becomes of this church? In fact, I'm going to conclude this and I want to give you a challenge. I'm going to... Dave, skip the recap. I want to read something to you. I'm almost out of time. That's why I want to just go right to that. Open, grab your bulletin. Look at the inside of it. Look at the gold section there, the orange section there that you have there in your bulletin. Intentional Bible reading for the week. I want to give you a challenge as a congregation. And I don't want you to take this as an academic challenge. If that's you, don't accept the challenge. Think about what God has spoken to us about here this morning. Think about the greater scheme of things. This gift called life and how ultimately one day God is going to hold us all responsible for it. My life, your life, your talents, your giftings. And now think about the lost in society today. <laughs> Some of you said, no, we need to think about the troubles we got in here. Yeah, you're right. We're right. You're right. We, got some, we have some, some troubles, but that's included in what I stated. Think about the difference that we can make that you and I as God's people with a strong, concerted effort on our part. What would be the one thing, the one thing, perhaps above everything else, that can alter everything in your individual lives as well as our lives as a body of believers, society, and the world over? The one thing that will make the ultimate difference in everyone's life. Anybody? You have the answer. I know you do. Just want to hear that 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 accent of yours. 
the study of God's Word. Some of you knew that. The study of God's Word. It's not about culture. It's not about tradition. It's not about routine, ritualism. It's about the Word of God. Right here. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Can you imagine what becomes of your life and mine if we got a hold of a habit, an addiction of reading the Word of God? We all spend a lot of time reading. We read magazines. We read newspapers. We read gossip. Oh, that that wasn't in there. We, We read all sorts of stuff. We spend time listening to ESPN, sports news, spending a whole... I don't. I hate it. I hate sports news. I despise it. Leave it up to me. I cancel all those channels. I just don't like it. Just man's way of gossip, idolizing this, that. I just don't like it. Now, I love sports. But I manage. I'm a steward of the time I spend in front of the television. I'm a steward of that time. I like to read. And I like to read the Word of God. But can you imagine... What becomes of our lives as individuals if we got a hold of the Word of God in a very meaningful way? What becomes of the troubles that you're dealing with today? The things that you're struggling with? The sin that easily besets you, as the Bible puts it. That one struggle that you have, if only I can shake this thing off. If only I can discard this, dismiss it. Maybe just give it to my enemy. Give it to somebody else. If only I can be free from this. This problem, this issue. The Word of God is the key. The Bible is the key. Not listening to my big mouth on, on Sunday. No, in no way, shape, or form. Because the day I said it before, I'll say it again, I'm always going to repeat it. The day I come in here and I'm talking about things that are outside the scope of the Word of God, that are not sanctioned by the Word of God, you send me packing. And I mean that. You send me packing. Set up a meeting and get rid of me. Send me home. Because it's about the Bible. The whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. It's absolute. Only it's absolute. I'm imperfect. I'm going to fail you. (laughs) Some of you saying, you've already failed me. (laughs) But that's beside the point. Listen, I had the capacity to fail you. But the Word of God is never going to fail us. It doesn't have the capacity to do so. It's inherently perfect. It has a life substance that alters our spiritual DNA, if you will. The challenge is, every week, to read a different book or passage in the Bible as a church for this new year. And to go through the entire Bible as a church in one year. It's not for the faint-hearted. This challenge is going to separate the men from the boys, the women from the little girls, figuratively speaking. Because the first challenge is to read this week the entire book of Genesis. And because it's the whole book... (laughs) Dude, you're crazy. And because it's the whole book, how do we account for the rest of the year when we're reading a whole book? Easily. There are some books that are so important 
a believer ought to read numerous times. So there are books like Matthew, John, and Isaiah that in the schedule that I have drafted will be read twice, maybe even three times in the year. Because they are, they are of utmost importance in so many different ways. Will you, as a church, accept this challenge? Book of Genesis, seven chapters a day, will get you through the book with one day for yourself. It's a good deal. <laughs> it's a good deal because my life belongs to God. Let me read this to you in closing. It's titled, it's not my writing. Um, the author is, I believe it's Haley. I believe it's Haley. I got this from one of, my, the, one of the books that I'm reading. Individual direct contact with God's Word is the principal means of Christian growth. All leaders of spiritual power in Christian history have been devoted readers of the Bible. The Bible is the book we live by. Bible reading is the means by which we learn and keep fresh in our minds the ideas that mold our lives. Our lives are the product of our thoughts. To live right, we need to think right. Thoughts have power over our lives by being often in our minds. We read the Bible frequently and regularly so that God's thoughts may be frequently and regularly in our minds. That His great thoughts may become our thoughts. Then our ideas may become conformed to God's ideas. So that we may be transformed into God's own image and be made fit for eternal companionship with our Creator. We may indeed absorb Christian truth in some measure by attending religious services, listening to sermons, Bible lessons, testimonies, and reading Christian literature. But in these things, however good and helpful they may be, we are receiving God's truth secondhand, diluted through human channels, and to quite an extent, glossed over with human ideas and traditions. As a rule, Bible reading, if done in the right spirit, is a habit out of which all Christian virtues grow, the most effective character-forming power known to men. Every Christian ought to be a Bible reader. It is the one habit which, if done in the right spirit, more than any other habit, will make a Christian what he ought to be in every way. If any church could get its people, listen, If any church could get its people as a whole to be devoted readers of God's Word, it would revolutionize the church. If the church of any community as a whole could get their people as a whole to be regular readers of the Bible... It will not only revolutionize the churches, it would purge and purify the community as nothing else.
could do. The secret's in the Word of God. It's always been the secret. It's always been the source. It's absolute. It's powerful. And it will revolutionize our lives. Read with me the Bible throughout this year. I'm going to read myself. In addition to all the other reading that I have to do as your pastor, I'm going to read as well. Will you stand with me in prayer? Father, help us to be faithful to you. For it is true, not just from this one passage, but so many other passages in the Bible. In fact, from cover to cover, you make it clear to us that you are God, that you are sovereign, and that one day we will stand before you. That every knee will bow and every every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord, and we will give an account to you of our lives. We understand it, Father. We receive it. <coughs> we accept the challenge. Because the text clearly, clearly states that you are the provider of everything that is needed this side of heaven, we need you this morning. We need you to enhance our perspective so that we may have the wherewithal to live out our responsibilities toward you. We want to be faithful. And today as a church, we declare that we are going to be faithful to you. We're not going to be perfect. We understand that you are a loving God, and that you extend grace to us, an unmerited favor, and we will, we, will, we will get up, allow you to dust us off, and we will continue as a church to move in the, 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 the direction that you have prescribed for this church. We are going to fulfill your mandate upon our lives, and we will do it by accepting the challenge to read your word. And this week as a church, we are going to set apart the allotted time, the necessary time to read through the book of Genesis. And we are going to receive your blessings as a result of it. And we thank you so much for this charge, for this challenge. We know that in your heart, you want to make a difference in the lives of people outside of this church. But you want to correct us first. You want to stabilize us first. And we know that you're going to do it through the study of your word. Bless us, Father, to follow through with our commitments before you today. And Lord, if we shall fail with our reading, please help us not to be discouraged. Just simply pick up the following week with the next reading assignment. We love you, Father. 
We bless you. We magnify your holy name. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.